just, just whilst we were worshipping, just at the very end, uh, had a very clear sense of, of, of God wanting to talk to some people this morning. Uh, nothing to do with the, with the message, but uh, you're here this morning and you're in, uh, you just feel like you're in a box. You're in a box. Um, and this box is not made of cardboard, uh, but this box is something that you can't break out of. Uh, the way that you've described it is you're in a maze and you continue to walk around the track. You think you know where you're going, but then you run into a dead end. And then, and then you go again and you hit a, another dead end. And I believe that if you will have your heart open, it has nothing to do with a message. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God. God is going to confront you and he's going to break the box. So I wonder if we could all bow our heads and I want to pray. Lord Jesus, today... For that person, persons, we believe, Lord, in the infallible word of God. We don't come with wise, persuasive, clever words. But I pray that as a result of people coming under the sound of your word, and as truth is preached, that it will confront and destroy every wall, every barrier, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, if you're turning your Bibles to Daniel in chapter 3, I'd just say a very big thank you to all those who've encouraged me this morning already. You know who you are. There's been two or three people who've come and, and encouraged me and uh, said nice things about me. It's always nice when people are saying nice things about you. Uh, and uh, thank you, John Roberts, for the comment that I'm a lumberjack this morning. We were at a conference and Bill Heibel says that he dresses the way that he dresses, so he's understated, so nobody bring, doesn't bring attention to himself. And I thought I was being absolutely understated this morning, but obviously not. Um, so uh, there, there we go. Okay, Daniel in chapter 3. Daniel in chapter 3. And whilst you've got that, I wonder if anybody who's ever uh, experienced any trouble or any difficulty or any problems or any challenges, whether you'd stand to your feet, please. Okay, I feel I'm, I'm in good territory then because that's pretty much everybody, so I feel like I'm preaching to people, so that's great, thank you. That means to say that this message is for every one of us. For every one of us. And um, we're going to talk about praising when things become hot. And uh, if you just turn in your Bibles, please, to, uh, as I said, Daniel chapter 3 now. And um, just because of time, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lead up to the story. And then we'll pick the story up probably around verse 16. There was a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar, who I'll make reference to in a moment. And in his wisdom, he set up a statue that he wanted all the peoples in Babylon to bow down and worship. He set it up in the plain of Jura, so it, could, it was visible, it could be seen. And what he instructed uh, all the governors and the prefects and the tra- satraps and the provincial leaders to announce and decree amongst the nation that once the trumpet blast was sound, or when you heard the instrument sound... Everybody, and I mean everybody, 
was to bow down in worship to this statue. And if you did not bow down in worship to the statue, then the decree was that whoever would not bow, they would be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so the story goes on that there was the sounding of the instruments and all the peoples bowed down in worship to this statue. But there was three young men, Hebrew boys, who would not bow their knee to this idol. And some astrologers came before King Nebuchadnezzar and were basically telltaling. Don't you just hate, hate people who are telltales? Anybody like, help me this morning, anybody, don't they do your head in, people like that? Oh, they're always grassing everybody up and nye, 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 nye. Some of our kids can be like that, can't they? They're always telling on the brother or the sisters or whatever. Winds me up beyond belief. But anyway, these, these astrologers went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, well, you know the three Hebrew boys who are in your government? Well, basically, they wouldn't bow their knee. So Nebuchadnezzar... Uh, asked for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to um, stand before him. And um, he basically reiterated his message. He said, you need to bow down when the instruments strike. Um, You know, I want you to bow down. If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Um, And he makes his statements, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. That's a very powerful statement in verse 15. It's almost like the enemy is, throws out the challenge. Then can your God rescue you in this situation? Let's pick the story up then from verse 16. Because there they are stood before this almighty king. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king. Oh Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. We'll come to the story in a moment that we've just read. But first, before we do that, I just want to take us back two chapters to Daniel and chapter 1 to give you the context of why these three young men would find themselves in Babylon. There's actually a fourth character and he wrote the book, his name's Daniel, and there were four Hebrew men that um, found themselves in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Babylon at that time was a very powerful nation. And in Babylon they were worshipping hundreds of gods. And King Nebuchadnezzar had no problem with taking over a nation and actually allowing the nation to continue in Babylon, even worshipping their gods. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar was, was prone to actually taking on other gods and worshipping them as well. He had no problem with idolatry. He had no problem with any of those things. But he was a very, very powerful king. 
He built a great army. He had incredible strategy. He amassed great wealth. He built majestic cities. And the wealth was beyond reason. And of course, as a result of all the wealth and all, all the excessive and extravagance that surrounded that, it was a life of excess. It was a life of excess where everything went, nothing mattered, do as you please. The sensual desires of man and woman wasn't a problem. So it's all around, geared around sinfulness and pleasure. The interesting thing to note, and we've got to move on from here, God actually used Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was bigger than God, or he actually was God. But I want to tell you, God used Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes. But in the midst of that story in Daniel 1, we notice that there were four young men that stood out. Three that we've talked about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the other one, Daniel. And it notes about these men. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4, they were Jewish men, Hebrew men, who were brought into the king's palace because they were young men without physical defect, handsome, let's put that to one side. But they showed aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They had real aptitude. They were like sponges. They were bright, young men. And uh, that's what set them apart from the other men. But Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 is a fantastic statement because David, as the spokesperson for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, asks the the, the king's um, director if they can be excused from eating the royal food and wine. Let's read it together, Daniel 1 verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. There are two things that I just want to make a mention of. There are three things that we business people say that you look for in business leaders or leaders of any kind or emerging leaders. And and one of the things is chemistry. If you're going to work with people, you need to be able to get along. Absolutely agree. The second one is competence. Let me just make a statement about this. These Hebrew men were competent. Hebrews 1 tells us they had an aptitude for learning. They were bright. They were switched on. Didn't say that they were most intelligent, but they were like sponges absorbing information. There was a competence around their life, which was fantastic. But the most remarkable thing is the next thing that I'm going to make the statement about, and it's the third thing that business and, and, and leaders look for, and that is character. Character. We see the theme of character running through the whole of the Bible, from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. I don't want to go too far off my notes, but what was the issue with Jacob? He had a twisted, and God needed to what? Sort his character out and straighten the character before he could be the person that God wanted to use. What was the issue with Joseph? He could say, well, there wasn't a lot. What did he do? It was a character issue. There was an edge about him. You are going to bow down and worship me. And all the way through, we see that God is very interested in character. And I'm fascinated by Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because Daniel announces that actually we're en- we can enjoy all the excesses 
of the palace, we can enjoy all the, the wine, we can enjoy all the food, we can enjoy all the luxury, but we will not defile ourselves even with the food. So thank you very much, we just want to eat vegetables. He makes a statement. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. That one statement tells me that these men were men of character. Now I want to say something as well. They were actually young men because Daniel 1 verse 17 says four young men. These were young guys. So let's not be people that look down upon young people because there are actually young people that have an immense character. There are young people in the life of this church who have determined that they will not have sex with another person until they get married. I think that's outstanding. In a world world where it says, well, do what you want, please yourself. It's not a problem, who's going to know? Just try it out. I heard a statement this week, you try the goods out. What kind of statement is that? It is absolute nonsense. So there are young people here who've made the decision to say, we're not going to do those things. There are young people who are determined not to cheat and not to lie and not to steal. I want to applaud you. There are also a group of other people as well, older people, that have determined not to lie, not to cheat, not to steal, and not to sleep around. Praise be to God. So there are young people, these were young men of character. I just want to nail this before you say, well, what's this got to do with Daniel 3? What's this got to do with praise? Everything. Because I want to set it up. You see, character is doing what's right when nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. How are you going to live? How are we going to act? How are we going to behave? And these four men possessed great character in the area of morality. I mean, let's face it, we're all adult people here. Most of us, there are some, not babies here, there's some young people. But if they're in the king's palace and Babylon was known for what it was, there was going to be sex in abundance. Can I be as blunt as that? Sex in abundance. As much as you want, you can have. And these young men could have had whatever they wanted because they were in the king's palace. (coughs) They could do whatever they wanted. Fulfill all the sensual desires that were there. Because they were human beings. But even at the point of food, they wouldn't even defile themselves with food. Never mind women. These were remarkable men of character. You may say, well, Who would know? What have I just said? When nobody's looking, how are you behaving? And they had remarkable character and restraint in the area of morality. Character is all about promise making and promise keeping. Character is within our finances and within our time keeping and within keeping our word. And controlling our mouths. This is the true test that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel went through. I would just wonder if Chris had just put on the board, because I want to give you another thought around character. Listen to me, I'll leave that on if you want to take notes, and I do hope some of you will, because this is a good statement to live your life by. This is what somebody anonymously wrote Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words. For they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, 
for they become character. Watch your character, for they become your destiny. Somebody once said, you are what you repeatedly do. You are what you repeatedly do. If anybody was here in April of last year, I know Steve and Lynn weren't because they were stranded in Tenerife at the time. But Steve had opened up a door for us to have a prophet come through by the name of Dwayne White. Dwayne White ministered on Friday and then did a Saturday leadership um, session with a number of people. And Dwayne was talking about opportunity on Friday night, so this was not in the context of what I'm about to say. But he made this statement, and I revisited it only the last few weeks. And he says this, big doors rest on little hinges. Big doors rest on little hinges. And in my thinking time throughout this week, I have times where I just put aside, where I just used to think. I just pondered on this thought. And I just looked at big doors resting on little hinges. So the door is opportunity or destiny. The door is opportunity or destiny. And it rests on hinges, which is character. Character. Why is it that people are always trying to push open the doors and it doesn't move and you try and push and you try and shove, you try and kick, you try and scream, you try and shout, but the doors won't open. They can't open. Doors can't open without hinges. And God wants to bring you into your destiny. He wants to open up doors of opportunity, but they cannot be opened until you... Nail the issue of character. You see, God is not a spoil sport. He wants to launch us into bigger and greater things. But he knows that if he allows the doors to open and you've not settled this, you will end up killing yourself and you will end up killing someone else. Hello? So we better make sure as a church, and if we believe that God is wanting to do all that he wants to do amongst us, that we are people of character because then we have an opportunity that the Lord may then open up the doors and we've got the hinges that allow the opportunity to swing forward am I making myself clear and these young men they were remarkable there was opportunities that were before them and their hinges were on straight you see it's in the quiet and dark places that character is formed They put away fame, accolades and awards and they set their hearts on developing character that produces eternal awards. I've really set my heart on that. Those who know me around me, I've really set my heart on that. I've put away the fame, the accolades and the awards and I really want to be on the journey of developing character that produces an eternal award. These three men back to the story in Daniel 3, understood what it meant to truly praise God. I love to hear the sound of the rustling of the pages, great. They praised and worshipped God in their trouble. But it was the character that was in them that just, when trouble hit, they weren't found lacking. They, they They had it in them to be able to push through. Linda, I want to say this morning, you have blessed me more than you will ever realize 
And I have to make statements about this because Linda is winning the battle. We're, we're standing with her in this whole thing to do with this wretched cancer in your body. But if there's an example that we need to have as a church, and I know many of you have lived there, and I do apologize if I'm just flagging one particular person up, but she just caught my eye from as soon as this, the chord was hit, a song was sung, Linda was there in worship and praise to her God. And it was truly remarkable. And if there's ever a time when we need to praise God, it's when we are in trouble. Hello? Verse 16 through to 18 of Daniel 3 says, they, they made the statement, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, the true test of our praise is in the fire. The true test of our praise is in the fire. Richard, who is the retired Elim minister in, in Ilkeston, it's great to see Richard here again. Um, I was speaking a few weeks ago and we were con- starting really the series of Raise the Praise. And Richard just said to me on the Monday morning as we met, how are you going to continue this? Can you remember, how are you going to work this through in the life of the church? Because I can sense there's something, but how are you going to work this through? Very, very valid question. And I just said, well, we don't want this to just be something, a series that we teach. We want this to be a life that we live. And I want to just say this morning that we've heard many good things about praise and where we need to praise and how we need to praise and different stories that we've applied from the Bible. But God is wanting this to be in each and every one of our hearts. That the praise is raised in each of us. And the true test of praise is when things aren't going great. The true test of praise is when we don't feel like saying thank you because we're so ticked off with life. Have you ever been there? Where you've not even wanted to say thank you. Forget God now. Somebody's just, you just don't, you, you just want to get... You, have you, has anybody, uh, you just, you just, they do, and you just want to, because you're just fed up with life. That's the true test of thanks and praise to humanity and to our God in heaven. And these three men praised God. I've got six things and we'll race through them quickly that we see from this Bible as they raised the praise when things became hot. First of all, they praised God Above all others. There are many people who want praise. There are many people, even in this life, who are setting themselves up as God. We see a lot of countries, and there's a lot of unrest at the moment, where those dictators have always almost become like God. And there is a lot of unrest that is happening in the world at this particular moment. But I want to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego praise God. God above all others. They said in verse 17, the God we serve is able to save us. It's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar had no problem with the Hebrew God. History records it. He had no problem. And he himself at times would refer to God, but he 
in his mind and in his heart, he was the God of all gods. He was the image to be bow, to bow down. The very thing that he created, he wanted all the people to bow down. No, 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 no. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made a decision that God was going to be praised above all others. Job 22, verse 12, Job records, Is not God the heights of heaven? And the heavens cannot be counted. They are immeasurable. They are, um, you can't calculate the depth and the breadth of the heavens. The heavens and the earth. You just can't. And he recognized that God was to be praised above all others. Secondly, they praise God unreservedly. Unreservedly. Verse 17. They just did not hold back. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your hand, O King. There was just that unreserved, without restriction, praising to God. I love the thought of, and I mentioned this, I think it was last week, when David was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And 2 Samuel 6 verse 14 says that David danced unto the Lord with all of his might. There was no restriction, there was no reserve that uh, David was living with. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego unreservedly praised God. They brought glory to God. They would not back off. I wonder if there's been times in our lives... When we've had reserve, because we've been in a context and we've not felt that we can go for it. No, God is wanting our best praise. He's wanting our best praise all the time. He's wanting us to come with whatever context we're in and praise his name. When we get up on a Monday morning, whether it's like it was yesterday, what yesterday, dismal weather day. It was pretty tragic how it was drizzly and rainy. If you love the rain, well, that's fine. But it was pretty, pretty tragic. But whether the sun's shining or the rain's pouring down, we just unreservedly praise God. Whether we're going to that difficult meeting, and you better believe I have to go to many difficult meetings, and you don't feel like praising, you're all churned up inside, anybody being there? You're all churned up, you're worked up, you're stressed out with it all. It's at that point, that point, unreserved praise and thanks to our God. Thirdly, they praise God out of dedication, not defiance. This is really, really important. They praise God out of dedication, not defiance. Now, you, you know, some of us could look at this and say, well, Nebuchadnezzar needs to be taught a lesson. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to show this king. Did it? No, it wasn't that. They were, they were praising God out of dedication. They would not bow the knee. It wasn't out of rebellion. It was dedication to God. That's why they would not bow the knee. And there's been times when I've been in context, I haven't done it here for such a long time, but I know that some people might not lock their... And I think, great, Kev, crank it up. Because it's out of defiance. I just want to show you, that's not the attitude that we're looking for. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego weren't operating out of defiance. They were operating out of dedication. Fourthly, they praised God at huge personal cost. It did come into my mind, and I mentioned to Tony and Sharon around this. They just mentioned last week about 
a situation that arose. And because of podcast, I do want to be careful. But, you know, there was, they've just declared to their friends that they're Christians and, and church, go to church. And, and that's come at a cost. That's all working its way through. But there's been people here who've, at the point where you made a decision to follow Christ. It may be a husband or a wife or a mum or a dad or a work colleague. Say, you mentioned anything about that and you'll be fired in my organisation. We had an instance which we can't go into of, of, uh, of somebody else who uh, did just that and had to stand firm on what they believed. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were not trying to play the hero. They were just saying, you know what? Our God is bigger, greater, stronger, and I am not going to back off. I am not going to compromise. I understand the personal cost that it could be, but I am just going to commit everything to Jesus. I'm going to commit everything to God. And some of you have had to come to that point where you've had to say, you know what? Whatever the cost, I'm just going to give it all to Jesus. He has my life now. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. And I am going to give everything to him, and I am going to praise God. But there is a cost that comes Because bearing in mind, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 6 had already heard the edict, the the king's instruction, whoever does not bow down, they will be thrown into the furnace. And they understood the king that they served. He would do as they said, and they made a decision. And this brings me on to my fifth point. They praise God without knowing the future and its outcomes. I will say that again because this is so powerful. They praise God without knowing the future and... It's outcomes. Look at verse 18. And don't just skim over the the verse. Look at it, please, if you've got your Bibles. Daniel 3, verse 18. "But But even if he, God, does not, he's talking about deliverers, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Or look up. I feel at times, and I know there's a team of people here, I feel at times a real responsibility, which is right, within the context of the church. I'm aware of the pastoral responsibility. And there are people who are standing in need of prayer many, many times. And I find at times that people come, and it's so natural and understandable, so I'm not, please, I'm not, asking you not to come to me. I'm just trying to help us understand something. If we can nail this, I think it'll help us in our future. Because people come and they, it feels like they want me to say that everything's going to be alright. And I can't. Because I don't know whether everything's going to be alright. Does that make sense? I don't know whether everything's going to be alright. What I do know is that it will be alright in the end it may not be in this life but it will be in the life to come and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had nailed this because they were not just praising God because God was going to deliver them they knew God had the power to deliver them but they also knew that he may choose not to deliver them does that make sense? because they say in verse 18 you know, but if God They knew, they were mature enough to understand that God, (laughs) I was going to use this phrase, I am going to use it and I'm going to move on quickly. He is sovereign and I'm going to move on quickly. 
And they understood it and they praised God knowing full well that they didn't know the future and they didn't know its outcome. How easy it is to walk a life of faith when we know what the next step is. And, oh God, you're going to do, oh great, I'll go then. Oh, I'll go then. But that isn't how it works. And it's really frustrating to me, and it's really frustrating to you. And if you're here today, and that song keeps coming through my mind all the time, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And there's people here who are standing in need of prayer. I want you to know that we're around you, we've got you covered, we're praying for you, we love you. We believe in God's best, we're not quitting. This isn't a quitting message. We're standing, we're, we're going to fight. But we have to then trust God with the outcome. Can I hear an amen? It, it, it's, we've, got to, we've got to nail this. And so they praise God without knowing the future and its outcome. And, this, and, and, and lastly, they praise God in the midst of the fire. Let's just read it, shall we, just for a, a moment. Daniel and 3, verse 24, because we've not read it yet. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He threw them in the fire, and, uh, and he jumped to his feet and said, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He thought he was losing his marbles. That was to come, actually. You've got to read through Daniel. Because he was seeing, in verse 25, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Let me just make a statement here. I used to be fascinated by this story when I was growing up as a young boy in Sunday school. And I have to be honest with you, I used to read these stories, and they just felt like Rumpelstiltskin or Cinderella, or they just felt like so unreal. But the older I've got, the more I realize that that is true. That happened. That happened. And God's in the business of showing up. Commentators, they can't comment on it. They they all will, commentators, because that's what they do. They commentate. But some people say it was an angelic being. Other people say it was Jesus. I actually prefer the idea of Jesus coming. That's where I stand. And Jesus came amongst them and unbound them and it says there from 24 to 27 that they were walking around in this blazing hot furnace that Nebuchadnezzar had put seven times hotter because he was so ticked off with his boy's attitude and uh, they were walking around now can I just surmise for a moment can we use the commentary of Christian here I know that's a bit dangerous yeah well we do have to yeah because I've got the microphone Eric so uh, yeah but what do you think they were doing? Do you think they were talking about the weather? Is there in there? Oh, it's a bit hot out there. Well, it's hot in here. I mean, what? <laughs> do you think they were talking about the nice carrots and, and broccoli and cabbage that they'd had for lunch? Because they're only on vegetables. Do you think they were talking about how mean Nebuchadnezzar was? I'm serious. What do you think they were? That's some icy. What do you think they were doing? There was three. They weren't burnt. And there was another man. Jesus or an angelic being that was amongst them. What do you think they were doing? Praising. They were praising in the middle of that fire. They were 
praising. I actually do believe this. I believe they were praising God. They were just adoring God. They were just announcing the greatness of God. They just had, had just been amazed because they were willing to die. But God came amongst them and just did this remarkable um, miracle. And I, and I get the feeling here because then it says, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. I have a feeling that those boys at that point were saying, does he never give it a rest? Will he not just leave us alone? We're just here praising God. Will he shut his mouth? You know, that's big mouth, okay, nothing else there. We, you know, they were praising God, I really believe it. They praised God in the middle of the fire. They praise God. And what's interesting as I conclude is that then Nebuchadnezzar started because in verse 27, it says there, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And then verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were, and, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Verse 25, 29, therefore I decree, he can't help it Nebuchadnezzar, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. He was doing so well, wasn't he, the king? He was doing so well up in that, I'm going to cut you into ribbons and I'm going to burn your houses. But even Nebuchadnezzar was declaring the praises of God. The true test of praise is when the heat is on and when we're in the fire can I say this pastorally to you? you? You will have no idea how the team here and those who have been in pastoral leadership, our heart aches when we see people in crisis. You need to know that. I can't even begin to tell you what I feel sometimes when I hear some of the stories. I am so in bits and pieces. That's why it's good that I have an office downstairs because I'm able to get away just for a moment and just compose myself because some of the pain that some of you guys feel yourself, you know, find yourself in. But I want you to know that it's in the fire that praise needs to arise from our lives. And it's in the fire that our faith is proved worth of gold. And I want to encourage us to be people that raise the praise in the good and also in the bad. Whatever curveball is thrown at us. Let's be people who maintain praise unto God. I have to tell you, I do know what I'm talking about. I'm a practitioner of this. I'm not a theorist. And I need as much help in this as probably you do. But I am committing my life to be a life of praise unto God.